Hello and welcome to the VOE podcast, an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the University of Denver's Daniels College of Business. We're your hosts, Crystal Griffith, Amber D'Angelo, and I'm Jake Jensen from the Daniels Office of Communications and Marketing. We'll be unpacking topics at the intersection of business and the public good with CEOs and other business leaders from the Daniels community. Let's dive in. Two of the dominant narratives that emerged during the COVID-19 pandemic revolved around the discussion of employment, or lack thereof, and the fact that so many of us were spending large amounts of time at home. Misha Fisher examined both of these topics well before any of us were quarantined inside our living rooms. As the chief economist at Angie, the digital home services marketplace, Misha evaluates the industry's current climate, from consumer and stakeholder behaviors to prices and market size then communicates those findings to a broader public audience. His latest research explores how the current labor and employment crisis is manifesting as an opportunity for growth and entrepreneurship in the skilled trades industry. Angie has partnered with Daniels on several projects over the years, and Misha has been involved with student case competitions at Daniels as well. Misha, welcome to the VOE podcast. We're happy to have you here with us. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Um, so just to start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and just your professional journey to how you got to where you are now? And then uh, maybe just a little bit about what you do at Angie. Absolutely. So I'm the chief economist at Angie, which people may know as Angie's List or particularly for Denver-based listeners, Home Advisor, which were the two big brands that we rolled together. Uh, we're now Angie, the home for everything home. So we are a marketplace for home services in particular. That can range from everything like seasonal maintenance, upkeep, all the way to remodeling and getting your kitchen replaced. On a business level, we run the full stack of what you can provide to the marketplace. So that's lead generation and providing that sort of demand for pros. It's also marketing and uh, customer reviews. And then it's also uh, pre-booked or pre-priced services so people can go in and actually book a job to be completed right from their phone and we take care of the whole thing. So that is the company. As chief economist, my role is thinking specifically about what's going on with the market, consumer behavior, pro behavior, which we'll talk about, prices, the overall size of the market, is it growing, is it shrinking, what's going on with the overall dynamics of what drives it and then uh, making sure we're communicating those to the public industry popular press researchers academics that sort of thing and then in terms of uh, professional journey before this i was the chief economist for the state of illinois which is the exact same title but a very different role in that role it was thinking much more about the policies of the state so i was the governor's economic policy advisor thinking specifically about labor force training, tax incentives, housing, professional licensing, all the things that try and sort of make the state a uh, efficient and productive place to start and grow businesses. So it was a very different role despite the same title. In addition to those two things, I also moonlight as an applied statistics instructor at Northwestern University. Speaking of Angie, you recently authored a report for the company called Skilled Trades in America, How the Great Resignation Could Provide Great Opportunity for Skilled Trades. Can you just share a quick overview of the report? What did you research? How did you do it? And what was the inspiration behind it all? The broad overview of the report is we want to make sure people really understand what the skilled trades are. And we care specifically about the skilled home trades, so people doing the work, building homes and servicing homes and improving homes. But that labor force is dynamic and fluid. People 
will sometimes be working on homes and new construction. Sometimes they'll be doing remodeling work on existing homes. Other times they might be working on building commercial structures. And so it's a it's a flexible labor force, but one that's not particularly well understood by by anybody. And we're trying to make sure that the trades are both A, afforded, I think, the respect that they deserve, and part of that is coming from understanding, but B, also that people realize how beneficial it can be as a potential career. We see that job satisfaction in the skilled trades is tremendously high, and when we've got you know so much churn in the labor market right now with, with such low engagement in people's regular careers and then in the skilled trades – such high engagement and such a high opportunity for economic payoff and, and good returns, there's a real opportunity there. And so the, the report's also trying to make sure that we prioritize getting that message out there. You were talking about how a lot of people in the skilled trades report exceptionally high job satisfaction, especially because they find meaning and value in their work. And your report also goes into the fact that there's higher than average salaries in this industry. So given all these sort of positive elements of working in this industry, why do you think there is a shortage happening? I think there's a shortage happening for a number of reasons. The first is culturally, we haven't put a priority on it. Culturally, we've told people that you're not a success unless you go to college. And college is really important, right? We're, we're sitting in one right now. It's a great school. I teach at a different school. It's also wonderful. And it can be a really important pathway for a lot of people. But it's not the universal solution. Not everybody's going to love the work that they find themselves doing. For some people, they're going to find themselves happier and more economically well-off by hopping into the trades the second they're out of high school. And they can earn while they learn. They can really enjoy their work. And they can start a business and be entrepreneurs at a pretty young age. And we just haven't told that story. So I think that's the number one reason why there's a shortage. The other shortage, the other sort of reason is that we haven't talked about some of these pieces of information. Most people don't realize that it's pretty easy for a plumber to clear 100K a year. On top of that, there's also some broader macroeconomic things that have gone on. For example, the housing industry took a big hit after the last recession. Right? The last recession was an outlier. It was rare. It was a housing market recession. And the big home builders do a lot of training and recruitment into the industry. And so when home building sort of ground to a halt following that recession, I think we under, under-trained people to come into the industry. And now we're sort of feeling the hangover from that 10 years later, where we spent a couple of years not bringing people in at the rate we needed to. And now that we've got all this booming demand, we've got demographics that are pushing people into home ownership and household formation. We've got a lot of home equity, which is fueling things like remodeling. We've got an explosion in home construction because interest rates dropped and people could afford it. And when you factor all that in there, there's just not enough labor. The introduction of your report ends with this sentence, and I'm quoting here, the adage that opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work has never been truer than it is in 2021. Uh, what exactly did you mean by that? What we mean by that is there is a tremendous amount of opportunity in the trades to grow a business and be happy and make yourself a lot of money and provide a valuable service to people. But because it's not 
sitting in a coffee shop with a laptop, which I feel I can denigrate as somebody who spends a lot of time sitting in a coffee shop with a laptop. But because it doesn't look like that, we don't culturally right now think of that as being the entrepreneur. Right now, we think of the entrepreneur as somebody wearing, you know, fashionable jeans and some wool shoes and sitting in the coffee shop with their laptop. And we should also view entrepreneurship as just as likely to be somebody wearing work pants, work boots, and out in the field in a truck. They're both entrepreneurs. We, we only tell the story of one of them, though. And the latter one is dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. But there is a lot of opportunity there. The phrase Great Resignation is in the title of your report. What does the Great Resignation look like in the skilled trade industry? So in the skilled trade industry, there isn't a lot of evidence that there is a Great Resignation. There's a, there's a tight labor market and a lot of competition. But a lot of the quitting has gone on in white-collar work or it's gone on in the service industries around hospitality and restaurants and that sort of thing. In the skilled trades, I mean, if you look at residential construction employment, it's well above where it was before the pandemic. Overall, across the economy, we're still, I think the latest numbers are about 7, 8 million jobs short of where we should be. So there's 8 million jobs not there that were 18 months ago. We're just net below that. We spend a lot of time thinking about the unemployment rate uh, and other and labor force participation. But we know what the economy is actually capable of producing in terms of employment because demographics and technology and education haven't changed that much in the last 18 months. And so we should be able to get back to where we were, but we haven't, except for in a small subset of industries, including residential construction. And in residential construction employment, which includes a lot of the skilled trades, we're well above that. And that's because uh, the resignation is not really happening there. It's it's tight. Labor market's competition is is real. Salaries are, are way up. It's a good time to enter and, and get a good working wage and enjoy what you're doing. And as a result, all of those people who are quitting from other service industries should be looking at this uh, sector. And employers in this sector should be looking at those people quitting their restaurant jobs and saying, I want to train these people up because they know service, they know communication, they know customer support. All I need to do is get them the the skill set they need to do the work in the field or you know, what, whatever the business happens to be. And that's a big opportunity. What are some of the other key takeaways that you found in your research? I think the the next most important one besides job satisfaction is to think about diversity in the trades. People still recruit through word of mouth. And what because of the way that we formed a we tend to form social relationships, that can create an inertia in terms of who you're pulling into the trades. And so the trades, for example, are overwhelmingly male. And if it's a bunch of men in the industry asking around by word of mouth among their social network, which is also going to skew male, then you're going to end up with an under-recruitment of women. And so that's the big one is the trades are complaining about a trade labor shortage, but some of these trade categories are 98% male, which is very, very skewed. And if you go back a couple of generations, law school and medical school used to be overwhelmingly male. Now the majority of grads out of both are women. And with the trades, there's a similar opportunity to say, hey, you know, if we can quadruple the share of women working, it would still only be 10% of the labor force, which is still well under general population, but that could go a long way. And so... Getting the trades to think more about diversifying their recruitment methods and also diversifying their audience for recruitment is, I think, a, another big opportunity for the employers that figure that out. 
what are some ways that you think that business owners in the skilled trades industry can kind of adapt to and overcome the current situation that the industry finds itself in? They need to rethink, I think, compensation and ownership. I think things like equity are pretty common in the corporate sector, right? And it's very common for tech workers to get a little piece of the company vesting on a regular schedule. I think that's an area where the right company and the, the economics of it and the financing is going to be different depending on your metro, your mix of business, where you are, the size of your company. But I think it is definitely worth it for more people in the trades to think about that. Uh, the idea that you can compete for talented labor the way you have 20 years ago is probably not right. The entire tech sector, as we know it, is brand new in the last 20 years. And it attracts a lot of smart people because the compensation is compelling. And the trades have to figure that one out. I think that's probably one of the, the biggest sources of sort of opportunity for innovation in that, in that way. Another thing that is something that we've already seen some adoption of are technological solutions. So when you've got scarce labor, that's when you start trying to innovate and come up with systems, machines, processes, technology, all of those things to try and save work hours in the day, to try and stretch the labor you have to go a little bit further. And so we've seen a lot of technology adoption among tradespeople. Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was about eight out of 10 adopted some form of technology solution uh, over the course of the pandemic. A lot of it was digital payments, which we tend to think of as something that's just less paperwork, but it's also faster a lot of times, right? It's faster in terms of it saves you time on accounting. It saves you time on calling people back. It saves all sorts of time. So there's that. But then we've also seen an adoption of technology around planning and uh, putting people in the field and communicating with customers or potential customers. So there's been a lot of technology adoption as well. And when you stack that on top of the general improvement in technology in the building trades, you know, as we get houses that are more technologically advanced and more energy efficient and more durable, the, the trades has a real opportunity to sort of rebrand itself as something that is on the cutting edge of both a technology stack and in terms of building science. What is your sort of vision of the future of the industry? I think the future of the industry is going to be more professionalized. It's going to be a, a departure from kind of how the trades operated in, you know, over the last 30 years. We, we sort of went through a period where the trades were craftsmen, and we really appreciated that they were masters of their, of their art and their skill. You know, you sort of go back to you know, European guilds around you know, the, the shoemakers and the carpenters and you know, whatever, leather workers, all those sorts of things. And then we went through a period of time when I think the stereotype of, you know, the plumber and the butt crack was kind of the, the cultural impression. And if you talk to tradespeople from, you know, who entered in the 70s or 80s, on average, you're not going to get stories of professionalized recruitment and career planning and and really mature business processes. It was sort of more of a, a wild west of just people sort of entered and they exited and, you know, things weren't that precise. And I think that's all changing. I think we're, we're hopefully going to revert both to a more professionalized, modern technology company oriented world where they've, they're, they're using more tools, they're being more efficient, they're being smarter, uh, things are being built to last. But then we also revert back to appreciating the crafts 
the craftsmanship that goes into the work itself, appreciating the artistry and, you know, in good trim carpentry, for example, or, you know, appreciating what goes into designing an elegant, you know, bath system, those sorts of things. I think that hopefully we should have both of those things on the horizon. You spoke at the kickoff event for Denver Startup Week, uh, and you mentioned that business leaders and entrepreneurs should lead with talent, was the quote I remember you saying. Um, what does that mean, and how does that work in this industry currently? If we look at what people want from recruits in this industry, they don't say they want experience. They don't say they want a pedigree. They don't say they want somebody with a relationship to a friend. What they want is a willingness to learn and a good attitude. And I think there's a broader lesson there because some industries really care about pedigree and what school you went to and what company you used to work for. And I think when we care more about forming you know, a more inclusive workforce, you should really focus on those other things. Focus on a desire to learn and a good attitude, right? These are things that a lot of us grew up with our parents saying that that's what was going to work. And then a lot of people entered the labor force and found out that that's not actually what people are looking for. And uh, I, I think that we should we should live up to that and we should actually pursue people for the desire to learn and a willingness to work and a good attitude and, you know, the potential rather than just always relying on what the prior pedigree, pedigree is. We here at the Daniels College of Business base our whole curriculum around ethical leadership and doing business for the public good. Uh, what does that mean to you in your own work, either in your current position or in the past or just overall? Yeah, I mean, we. I, I think I'll speak generally on this one, but we we all have to we all have to live here, right? We 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 all live in uh, you know a, a state community in this you know the city of Denver locally, uh, but then also in the state of Colorado and then the country of America and of course on the planet Earth and um, uh, you know maybe Mars when Elon gets his rockets up. But the it, it's really important to recognize that and. Uh, Innovate in business, grow your market share, provide values to consumers. Uh, all of those things are critical. Also recognize that you still live in a community and you want to give back to it. You want to be a positive member of it. And, you know, at some point you're going to work your last day. And you're probably going to be more satisfied on that last day of work or on your deathbed by having been a positive member of your community rather than having, you know, helped your company gain an extra 2% market share. Is there anything you wish you would have known as a student that you know now sort of in hindsight? The That is a really good question. So I suppose it depends because I did undergraduate and graduate school several years apart. And so there was different periods of ignorance at those stages. I, I think the more general advice is really making sure you own your own learning. It, it took me a couple of years to figure that out out of school where – I, I now sort of make it a routine goal, both in terms of the, the technical stack, so knowledge of statistical methods, my programming skills, speaking skills, industry knowledge, company players, all of those things. I try and make it an intentional goal to sort of make positive and measurable improvements across all those things in a given year. And in my head as a student and then as an early professional right out of school, it was I'm done with school now. Now I just work and sort of you progress in your career. You didn't really sort of – I didn't think about it as, a, as an automatic thing. Or I thought about it as an automatic thing. I didn't think about it as something that requires intentional work. And 
if you can start that in school, you could get twice as much out of your university education as if you're sort of a passive participant in your classes and you're sort of you know doing enough readings to not flunk any midterms, but you are uh, or enough you know technical work, whatever it happens to be. All of those things are fine, but you will get so much more out of it if you are really intentional about your learning journey. And your first year out of school, instead of saying, I'm done learning now, you say, okay, now I'm going to start learning now that I've learned how to learn. And uh, that would be, I think, the biggest sort of personal force multiplier for, for any listener. Great. Well, is there anything else that you want to mention or promote while you're here that you're working on any upcoming projects? Yeah, I mean, if anybody's curious about the economic research we're putting out there, they can go check it out at angie.com forward slash research. So that's uh, A-N-G-I dot com. And uh, of course, you know, on a personal level, people can feel free to track me down on LinkedIn where I'm relatively active. Always happy to have a conversation or be a sounding board for advice uh, for anybody who's looking for it. And um, otherwise, you know, the, the work that DU does is absolutely awesome. You know, we've, we've collaborated in the past on some, some projects, which has always been fun. So, you know, just focus on, focus on your studies if you're a student and if you're a business owner, then uh, hire, hire lots of DU grads. Perfect. Well, thank you, Misha, for being here. We appreciate it. And we'll be in touch soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was fun. This has been the VOE Podcast. Produced by the Daniels College of Business and sponsored by U.S. Bank. Music by Joshua Metzl, music composition graduate student at the Lamont School of Music. Join us next time for more business insights from our community. In the meantime, visit daniels.du.edu slash VOE podcast. And please remember to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.